0: Please open your Bibles with me to read God's Word from Philippians chapter 3. We will read from verse 1 to 16. But we will look at verses 12 to 15. But in order to have a bit of context, we will read the whole passage. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh too. If anyone else thinks they, uh, he has reason. and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that, by any means possible, I may attain attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. our Father, maker and upholder of all things. We come at the end of this joyful day with a desire to understand more of our calling and purpose on this earth as children, as your children. Father, you know every one of us. You know what's inside of us. You know if we need salvation or sanctification. So, Father, we humbly ask that you will work powerfully in our hearts this evening. Not for our sake, but for the glory of your name, Father. We pray in the name of your eternally begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Probably, if not many, if some of you know the, the story of the of the Puritan minister, who in the morning service preached a sermon with 17 points. And uh, coming to the evening service, he started by saying, now that you have heard in the morning a good 17-point sermon, this evening sermon will be pointless. Uh, we hope that's not the case this evening. For a, a normal person, um, life is a constant something. Um, it can vary from person to person and it's shaped by many things, but it can be a constant of joy, for example, with brief moments of struggle, but the continual constant is joy. It can be, on the other side, a constant of struggle and just problems with various points of relief, but the constant is the struggle. Now, The question is, what about us? Which are the less normal people, as we love Christ. What about us? Uh, What is our life? And if I may be a bit more personal, what's your life? What is the constant, continual constant in your life? And allow me to point this out, regardless of the fact... if. If we confess Christ as our Lord or not, if the answer is not Christ, we are in such a big problem. We we are in such big trouble. Uh, In the next 25 minutes or so, uh, we want to have a look at what life is for a Christian person. And in doing so, we'll consider three things. The call, the run, and the prize. The call, the run, and the prize. Uh, So we will look firstly at the call, or as it reads in verse 14, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And to view clearly what the call of God is, we should first look at the word in itself, the word calling or called. In this context, it does not refer merely to an invitation or an offer from God. It's not like it's an option on a shelf, and we are put to choose from many options. Uh, To have an understanding, a biblical understanding of this, in Romans 8, verse 30, and I will read the verse because I will be reading many verses, uh, we read that those whom he predestined, He also called. This tells us that calling is a follow-up of God's eternal work, eternal decrees. So when God is calling, He's not making an invitation. He's not looking, as you've seen on many leaflets, Christ sitting at the door and knocking, could you please let me in? No, that's not the case when God calls I say yes there is no other option there is no if in God's calling now um, understanding the power and the influence that goes with this calling of God and having this picture in in our minds what is the actual calling of God and again we need to turn our, our, our eyes to the scripture because the scripture is illuminatory in everything. First Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.9 tells us that God has called us into the fellowship of His Son. Well, that sounds extraordinary. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? But what does it mean? What does it really mean to be uh, called into the fellowship of the Son of God? Well, John 14 tells us what, does, what that does mean. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, Judas asked, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? And not to the world and in other words Lord what does it mean that you will made uh, you will make yourself known to us Jesus answered him if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and please listen we will come to him and make our home with him we were we were called to the glorious To the glory of intimately knowing Christ. To be in an intimate relationship with Him. And again, it sounds amazing. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be in an intimate relationship with Christ? To be in a personal relationship with Christ? Well, uh, allow me a a short explanation on that, please. Um, When we speak about the Godhead, we use the term person. And in Westminster Confession, faith in chapter 2, um, paragraph 8, we read, in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Ghost. Without going into much, too much details, we use the term person because the relation... In the Trinity. Because the the persons of the Trinity are being in a relational relationship, if that makes any sense. Uh, The the relations between one and the other didn't start on earth. A relationship, a relational relationship, didn't start in in, uh, Eden between Adam and Eve. It didn't even start between God and Adam. The relational relationship didn't start yet. They existed from eternity past between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In a perfect unity. So we have this perfect unity, relational unity here. And we are called to the fellowship of his son we've been called to fellowship with them this means that when god saved us is no longer me or i is me in christ everything in my being is interconnected with the being of christ there are no longer my desires they are no longer my plans, there are his plans, there are his desires, they are not my resources, they are his resources. There is nothing personal regarding me. it's all about Christ. I cannot choose to be called to this. I cannot choose to be given this honor to be in a fellowship. With the eternal son of God. He is the sovereign. He is in command. If he calls, I answer. And allow me again to be personal. If he calls, you answer. With my life intact. Or bruised. I will answer. To God's calling. Sooner or later. Later. Do we know Christ in this way we as confession confessing Christians do we know Christ in this way is our life interconnected with him on the practical day-by-day living Um, this is a question we should ask ourselves now we've seen in this first point what the calling is to be in a personal profound relationship with Christ And this is the doctrinal part in a sense. But we now want to move to the second point, to the more practical part. And uh, we will see that this high calling of God in itself is a call to a glorious run. Many confessing Christians live their Christian life... um, Thinking that Christianity is reading from a thick book, coming Sunday uh, on church and uh, listen to a sermon, sing a few songs or hymns, pray, and go home, and live their life how they, how, however they want. But Scripture gives us a different view of what Christian life is. And it's, it's presented to us in a different ways as a race, as a run. As a fight, as a plowman, as a military man and so on. And on this occasion the Apostle is presenting the Christian life as a running, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Of course this is an allusion to the Olympic Greek Games. Um, a man after training for about four years would run the run of his life usually in a marathon the man was running to the best of his abilities to secure the prize one main rule do not cheat that was the public rule but the personal rule was that he would not stop and especially to look behind him to see how much ground he had covered or to see how the opponents are doing, if they are loitering or if they are catching up. He would keep his eyes steadily forward, and he strained every nerve in his body that he might obtain the prize. If his attention was diverted only for a second, he might lose the crown. Although it makes allusion to this kind of a contest, the idea behind it is not that we, as Christian brothers and sisters, race against one another, but to emphasize the commitment and effort. Now, Paul is writing this second letter, this uh, letter to Philippians, about the same time he wrote Second Timothy, towards the end of his life. And in this epistle, which is written at the end of his life, He's making such a great statement here. Forgetting what lies behind. Let's think for a moment. What, what laid behind Paul's life? A life of sin? Of course. Yeah. A life of commitment to the law? Absolutely. A life of knowing Christ? Yes. Um, a trip to the heaven academic life and of course it was something else an evangelized world let's put ourselves in his shoes for a moment having got all that behind us carrying all that expertise experience and, and amazing thing and Paul looks at it and says forgetting what lies behind me what Paul is saying is that in this glorious run we need constantly to take our eyes from what lays behind both the sinning life and the achievements and look towards heaven because both of them will pull us down both of them will stop us now this doesn't mean that Paul didn't regard his past sinning life and he didn't confess it he didn't repent of it it doesn't mean that he didn't remind the Christians about his experiences with God. It only means that he in his running towards heaven, he didn't relied on his past experiences. <coughs> Who is accustomed to look in the past will more likely be uh, melancholic and discouraged and um, a reckless rather than a warm-hearted Christian or someone who looks behind him to see his achievements it will become self-complacent and self-satisfied we need to look onwards forgetting or if you will, uh, more likely disregarding what lies behind and straining forward straining forward looking at christ what does that mean straining forward well in the context of a race it meant that every muscle and every nerve in the athlete is pushed to the max the runner puts forth every particle of his strength in running the athlete was running for life and he was running for his life Let's, let's imagine a bit the Apostle Paul in the dungeon. This letter is written from, from the dungeon in prison. Let's imagine him there a bit. And, and we are next to him and we ask him, Paul, what's on what's your mind, brother? His answer might have been something between these lines. Oh, brother, this is my concern, knowing Christ this is the sole business of my life if others think they have time to loiter or trifle i have none time is flying eternity is at hand and my all is at stake it might seem that this is preaching works but this is the way our life should be (sighs) moving our eyes a bit from apostle paul to Our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the finest image of the one who persevered to the end. And because of his perseverance to the end, he is able and he will help me and you to persevere to the end. He will not let us go. Knowing that Christ will will never let us go, we should be on full throttle in our race, in our run. It's not... He's running beside us. And he who runs beside us is not a, a creation. He's not an angel. He's not a finite being. He's not a creating something. He's the son of God. He has no beginning and no end. He's uncaused. He's uncompound. He... He transcends the human perception to an infinite degree. He exists beyond what we can comprehend. We try to understand it. We try to to look at Christ and understand Him. And our mind gives up not being able to comprehend His glory. He, in Hebrew, is... Told that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he listen, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Without him, everything will dissolve. Without him, this building will dissolve. Without him, we would have no life. Now, he is the one who runs beside us. What encouragement! all this running and effort is not about me it's not about you it's about Christ it's about Christ being glorified in our running um, we have been called to know Christ in a, and running a race where Christ is our companion and helper and for what For what all this? For a prize. Not for a prize, but for the prize. The prize which was conferred at the Olympic Games was a wreath of olive or of apple or pine or parsley, depending on the location. But whatever the prize was, that was nice, the prize. But the the, the culminating honor was what happened after the prize was given. And let me read you just just a, a short few words from a first century historian, which describes the moment. Everyone thronged to see and congratulate them, their relations, friends and countrymen, shedding tears of tenderness and joy, lifted them on their shoulders to show them to the crowd and held them up to the applause of the whole assembly. At their return home, they rode in a triumphal chariot. The walls of the city were broken down to give them entrance. And in many cities, a subsistence was given to them out of the public treasury, and they were exempt from taxes. Cicero said that a victory at the Olympic Games was not much less honorable than a triumph at Rome. Now, this was the prize they were fighting for. And the honor and everything. And you can imagine how marvelous it was for them. But what about us, brothers? We don't run for an earthly prize. We, 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 we race, we run from a, for a heavenly prize. We were not called. <coughs> Excuse me. The scripture talks about the prize as the crown of righteousness, crown of life, a crown of glory that faded not away. But this is so nice to receive the crown. But this is not all. This is not all the scripture tells us. I will read swiftly a few verses. You don't need to open your Bibles because I will read them one after the other. Romans 8. Sorry. Romans 8.17 And if children then heirs... Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him. In order that we may also be glorified with Him. Philippians 3.21 He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. By the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. John 17.24 Father, I desire that they also... Whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me. And the last verse, which is uh, astonishing, we should should make such a light. Revelation three, verse twenty and twenty one. The one, these are the words of Jesus Christ. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Brothers and sisters, we were not called for an earthly prize. We were called to to a crown and a kingdom. We were called from the dunghill to sit among princes. And to inherit the throne of glory and are made kings and priests unto God. Why settle for less when at the end awaits glory? Why settle for an earthly thing when at the end of our race awaits glory? One of the perfect examples in this way is Stephen. You remember Stephen? He was called by God. He run his race, a short race actually. And at the end of his race, when he was giving his life for God, when he was killed with stones, he takes his look from those people who were throwing stones at him and looks at heaven. And see, he sees the end of the race, the prize. While he looks at heavens, he sees the heavens opening up. And what is the view? I see Christ standing. When our race will be finished, Christ will wait for us standing, honoring our race, our run on this earth. And not just that, we will be made. Our body will be like His body. We will be glorified. Why settle for less? When at the end, Christ is waiting for us. I will close with a caution. The verse, um, verse 15, it says that the mature Christians will have the attitude to life that Paul had. Should any of us think differently, we will soon come to agree if we allow God to teach us. Augustine, Saint Augustine, or Augustine of Hippo, uh, said something like this. If we believe what we like in the gospel and reject what we don't, it's not the gospel we believe, it's ourselves. We are called to believe What the scriptures tells us. And run. Tomorrow is Monday. Our race is continuing. Let's run for the prize. Let's run towards Christ. Towards knowing Him. Let's pray. Father. We humbly come before you to ask that you will help us in our run. That you will make clear our calling and our run. And especially, Father, give us a deeper understanding of your prize. Help us to run towards Christ this week. Help us to run beside Christ this week. And help us to run towards the prize. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen. Now, we will close by singing the final hymn, O church, arise and put your armor on, which doesn't do, which does exactly what we have been, been talking about, pointing us towards the prize.